You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. If you got a Bible, go ahead and get to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We said last week that that was kind of part one, and this is part two. So last week we did uh, some diagnosing, and our big theme, our main thread from verses one through five was this. Lies are the most powerful destructive force working against us. We talked last week about how the devil, the father of lies, is out to deceive the people of God through deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, that he is trying to get us to believe lies and live out of those lies. The devil is putting question marks where God has put periods. What we said was that this isn't something that happens overnight. We don't suddenly wake up one morning believing and living out of lies, but rather the devil's long game is to destroy you little bit by little bit. What we're gonna see today is that in the same way, Jesus's long game is to sanctify you to grow you into a life of godliness and holiness. And this also happens little bit by little bit. So we're gonna be looking at this morning, 1 Timothy 4, we're gonna start in verse six. Paul writes, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So everything Paul just warned Timothy about in verses one through five, Timothy is to take to the church. It's what it means for him here to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. To be a good pastor is to warn the people of God, hey, there is an enemy of God and he's real and he's out to deceive you and bring lies. And he keeps going, verse seven. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So this is probably the same myths that Paul addressed in chapter one, these false ideas, these lies that were leading people astray. He says, have nothing to do with those, rather, Train yourself for godliness. If you like to write in your Bible, underline that phrase, train yourself for godliness. Let's talk about that idea of godliness. So godliness is sort of a mini theme in the book of 1 Timothy. So we said the overarching big theme of 1 Timothy is what does it mean to be the church? How do the people of God live as a family? How do we actually dwell and exist as the church? But underneath that theme is this little theme of godliness. Paul talks about godliness eight different times in this letter. He continually pushes, hey, the people of God are called to be godly. What does it mean to be godly? To put it simply, godliness is a heart and life devoted to God. Godliness is a heart and life devoted to God. It's taking the whole of your life, what you think, what you love, how you live, and putting it before God, turning it in a Godward direction. God, whatever you want for all of my life, I am in on that. It's an all of life submission, an all of life surrender. All of life lived under the rule and reign of King Jesus. For many people, the Christian life has been boiled down to something less than this. So for some of us, to be a Christian is to affirm a set of beliefs. It means we we prayed a prayer at one time, or we we walked down an aisle at a youth camp, or or maybe we, we affirm, yeah, there's a God. And he exists and he loves us, so I'm, I'm a Christian. For others of us, being a Christian uh, is a set of yes and no's, right? We have to say yes to some things and no to some other things. So to be a Christian means we don't smoke or we don't drink or we don't cuss, or we don't tell lies and we're not mean. Uh, we have to go to church on Sunday. That's what it means to be a Christian. We do some things and we don't do some other things. And, and while Christianity is certainly a belief system, 
Certainly, it's, it's beliefs that we affirm that's crucial and vital. And, and definitely, being a Christian means saying no to certain things and saying yes to the things of God. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus is so much more than that. It's so much bigger. It's learning to turn all of our lives Godward. Another word that the Bible uses for this is holiness. To be holy means to be set apart from the rest of the world and set towards God. Holiness, godliness, is God's heart for all of his people. For all of us as followers of Jesus, the aim, the goal, the will of God for us is to be godly, is to be holy, to turn away from destructive lies and towards lives of godliness. So the question is, how do we do that? What does it look like for us to actually move towards a heart, a mind, a life centered around God? How do we actually grow in godliness? Well, in the rest of these verses in chapter four, Paul's gonna keep talking about and expounding on this idea of training ourselves for godliness. So what I wanna do this morning is I just wanna pull some things out of this passage, four things in particular that Paul says godliness requires. Four things that if you want to grow in godliness, it is going to require of you. Number one, godliness requires effort. Godliness requires effort. Pick it up in verse seven. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Verse nine, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So a couple of key phrases for you to note here in verse seven, Paul says, train yourself for godliness. And then in verse 10, he says also to this end, that is for godliness, we toil This idea of working, of laboring, of sweating. We toil and we strive. This idea of contending or fighting. So we have to understand from the get-go, godliness does not come easy. It's gonna take some fight, some tenacity, some sweat, some grit, some fighting. Godliness godliness is not something you simply stumble into. You see, none of us default into godliness. You don't wake up one morning suddenly finding yourself more in love with the things of God. The Bible is clear. All our default as men and women, this side of Genesis 3, this side of the fall, is not to default to godliness. It's to default to sin. All of us, men and women, are under the grips of sin. Romans 3.10 tells us no one is righteous. No one seeks God. It means our natural drift as humans is not towards God, but towards sin. Godliness is not something that just happens all of a sudden to you. It doesn't just happen the minute you become a Christian. There's, there's a difference the Bible gives between our positional holiness and our practical holiness. So I want, you to, I want you to get this. Your positional holiness, your standing before God, that's, that's immediate. The Bible says when you turn from your sin, when you repent, when you trust in Jesus, when you trust in his life, death, and resurrection for you, you immediately are positionally holy before God. The Bible says that God actually starts to view you as he views Jesus, that you are given Jesus's righteousness. The the theological term for this is, is imputed righteousness. It means you are actually given the righteousness, holiness of Jesus, that you are washed clean, that you are made new, that you are immediately right before God. This is very different though. Our positional holiness is very different from our practical holiness. So our positional holiness is immediate. 
then our practical holiness is what we move into as a result of our positional holiness. So as soon as we put our faith in Jesus, we are immediately right with God. And then we spend the rest of our lives as followers of Jesus learning to live out this reality, learning to live in light of what is already true of us. The problem, though, is that we think both should happen in an instant. We think we should be both positionally holy and practically holy immediately. I put my faith in Jesus, my struggle with sin should be over immediately. I trusted in Jesus, I became a Christian, why do I still struggle with these things? Why do I still fight temptation? We think it should be immediate, but that's not how growth and godliness works. So helpful here that Paul gives us a parallel with bodily training. So he says in verse seven, train yourself for godliness. Then he continues in verse eight, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. This example, this parallel with bodily training would have hit home for the Ephesians. So Ephesus, the city that he's writing to, was something of a hot spot for athletes in that day. So different athletes who were training for the Olympics or other sporting events in Greece would often come to Ephesus to train. So the church here would have had some category for what bodily training meant. I want you to think about for a second what it means to be an Olympic athlete, what Olympic athletes have to go through, to be the best in your entire country and then to go compete to be the best in the entire world in your specific sport. Can you imagine what that means for your life? The amount of time, the amount of effort, the amount of sweat, the amount of labor and toil and sacrifice that these athletes go through in order to be the best. Now probably, if I had to guess, none of us are striving to be Olympic athletes. This is probably not what you're doing in life and that's okay, but we do have a category for our lives of what it looks like to sacrifice for a goal. We have some concept of, okay, if I want something, I know what it means to sacrifice. So think about uh, your own personal health goals, your own fitness goals, right? So for some of us, maybe we wanna lose some weight, we wanna gain some muscle. For others of us, we wanna run a 5K or a half marathon or a marathon, whatever. We have a category for, okay, if I have that goal, that means I have to sacrifice. That means I have to say no to certain things and yes to other things. I have to say no to certain foods like chocolate cake that I love and I have to say yes to my alarm clock. I have to actually get up in the morning and go to the gym or go for a run or whatever. Some of us, we we have this category for our careers. We know, hey, if I wanna advance in my career, if I wanna work my way up the chain, if I wanna get that promotion and become a CEO or a manager or a boss, whatever, it's gonna take some sacrifice. I'm gonna have to stay past 5 p.m. pretty often. I'm gonna have to invest some of my money to get that next degree, to get that promotion to advance in my career. Others of us, we know this with our families. Right? If we have a goal for how we want our families to turn out or, or how we want our kids to be or how we want our families just to be built up as a unit, we know that's gonna take some sacrifice. Parents, you know that means you're gonna have to have some hard and awkward conversations that you probably don't wanna have. You're gonna have to discipline when maybe you don't want to discipline. You're gonna have to say no when maybe it's easier to say yes. You know what it means to sacrifice for the greater goal. The problem is there, there's a disconnect that happens. We, we get, yeah, we're gonna have to sacrifice for some of these things. If I wanna grow in my career, if I wanna grow in my education, if I wanna get this physical goal, whatever, I know I have to sacrifice, but some kind of disconnect happens where we don't think the same is true for our walks with Jesus. For some reason we know, yeah, I gotta sacrifice for all these other things I wanna grow in, but then there's a disconnect and we don't know how to handle it when our growth in godliness, when our relationship with Jesus actually feels like work. There's a disconnect that happens. We know I'm not gonna wake up one morning and suddenly go run a marathon. 
we feel like we should with our relationships with the Lord. It should just come naturally. It should just happen. Paul says, no, 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 train yourself for godliness. Toil, strive. This takes time. This takes effort. You have to be willing to sacrifice. If you wanna grow more and more into a person who loves God and loves the things that God loves, it's going to take work. It's gonna take sweat. It's gonna take toil. It's going to cost you. Let me say it a little differently. You're not going to love Jesus more and more over the course of your life if you're not willing to sacrifice. If you're not willing to say no to things and yes to some other things. If you consistently put fill in the blank, career advancement, kids' activities, money, comfort, and safety, if you continually put these things ahead of Jesus, you're not going to wake up one day more in love with Christ. Take sacrifice. It's the first thing. Godliness requires effort. Godliness requires effort. Number two, godliness requires examples. Godliness requires examples. Let's pick it up in verse 11, 1 Timothy 4. Paul writes, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So this passage is written to Timothy uh, as a pastor, that through his godliness and holiness, that through his devotion to right teaching and right living, many would be saved. But that reality doesn't just apply to pastors. It actually applies to all of us, all of us as followers of Jesus. Your godliness has an effect on others. So last week we talked about these liars whose consciences were seared, who were more and more believing lies and living out of those lies. And what was happening is that it was having a domino effect on the church, that through them believing lies, others were also coming to believe lies. It spreads and spreads. The, the Bible actually paints the same picture for godliness. It's incredible how this works. So, so one person uh, just falls in love with the things of God. They start, they start having a passion for growing in lives of godliness, for growing their own holiness. They start getting serious about what God calls them to get serious about. They start taking seriously their own spiritual formation and growth. And it just starts to slowly permeate through all of the circles they run in. Their family starts getting serious about the things of God. Their friend group starts getting serious about the things of God. So Paul tells Timothy, set the example. In your speech, the, the way you talk, in your conduct, the way you live, in your love, the way you relate and sacrifice and care for others, in your faith, the way you believe and cling to Jesus, in your purity, the way you say no to the world and yes to God. Paul says, in all of this, let others see it. And not in some boastful, proud way, not in some way of, look how awesome I am and holy I am and godly I am, but in a way that says, hey, look at what a flourishing life following after God actually looks like in a way that's compelling for others, in a way that's in line with what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, to let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify not you, praise not you, but praise God. Make much of God because of what they see in you. Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane in the 1800s said this about his pastoral ministry. He said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. And that's true of all of us. Our church needs your holiness. 
Your family needs your holiness. Your friend group needs your holiness. Your group needs your holiness. Your group leader needs your holiness. Your city needs your holiness. They need you to desire, to pursue, to run after God. Other people need you to be godly and you need other people to be godly. You need their example and they need your example. Let me show you what this looks like. So if you're, if you're trying to grow in how to read your Bible, if you're like, I don't, I don't know where to start, but I know this is important. I need to get time with God in his word through prayer. You need the example of others. You need to, to pull alongside your group leader or a close friend that you know is, is good at these things or has experience with these things and just say, hey, can you, can you read the Bible with me? Like, can you just help me think through some of these questions as I'm reading and it's confusing? Will you just talk about it with me? Will you hold me accountable and make sure, make sure that I'm reading? If you're fighting a, a particular struggle or a particular sin or addiction or whatever, you need to get people around you that have walked through those same things, that have experienced freedom, that have experienced a, a fight, that, have, that you can ask questions. Hey, what worked for you? What helped you push back against this sin? What helped you fight against this sin? If you see a, a marriage in, your, in our church that you're like, yeah, they look like they love each other and love Jesus. You should get around them. Say, hey, can we bring you food? Make sure it's delicious. Bring them food and just ask questions. Hey, it seems like you guys love each other and you love Jesus. Can you just help us understand what you're doing? What's working? How do we love each other and love Jesus too? You need the example of others. And then, then you also need to do the reverse. You need to get around others and say, hey, hey, let's study the Bible together. Let me show you how I spend time with the Lord and what's, what's worked for me. You need to invite folks into how you fought and how you've struggled and seen victory over sin. You need to invite people in to see how you and your spouse pursue the Lord and pursue one another. And Paul says in verse 15, to practice these things so that all may see your progress. The goal is not to feel like we have to show everyone our perfection. The goal is not our perfection. The goal is our progress. We actually get to do this together. That we get to say, hey, I'm trying to follow Jesus do you wanna follow Jesus alongside of me? Do you wanna walk alongside of me? Do you wanna lock arms together in community and figure this out together as we try to pursue the things of Jesus? We need each other's godliness. On the days when I'm ready to throw in the towel and I don't wanna pursue my own holiness or godliness anymore, I need to be able to look at you and be encouraged, be inspired. And on days where you wanna throw in the towel on your godliness and holiness, you need to be able to look at me. That's the second thing. So first, godliness requires effort. Second, godliness requires examples. Number three, godliness requires endurance. Godliness requires endurance. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So a little bit about me. I love CrossFit documentaries. Like I love really any fitness documentary, so any documentaries that talk about people climbing or running marathons or doing anything physically that I'm not able to do. Just love watching them, but I particularly love CrossFit documentaries. So uh, every year, uh, all these CrossFit athletes from around the world, the best international athletes in the sport of CrossFit get together for the CrossFit Games. And they're competing for the title that they say fittest man or fittest woman on earth. And I love, I've watched the last like five years worth of documentaries. And so about two weeks into quarantine, I decided that I was going to become a CrossFit athlete. 
Like this was my goal for myself. And the gyms uh, were still closed. And so I borrowed some free weights and some of those like resistance band things from some friends. And I had this whole mapped out plan of what I was gonna do over the next six months to get winter body ready. Like I was just ready. I was gonna crush the CrossFit games. I was gonna be my thing. Suddenly, all of a sudden, I was gonna be Tim, the CrossFit champion. Told my wife, super excited. Here we go. Told some friends, pumped up. Months, here we go. I lasted two days. Two days. I got up early in the morning and did this, and then I just got frustrated. Like, if we're just being honest, day two ended, and I was like, dang, I am not in the shape I want to be in. This is frustrating. I see these athletes on these, these movies, on these documentaries, and they're crushing it. They can do all these, like, handstand push-ups and stuff, and I can't do any of that. I'm over it. Two days. I gave up. Didn't want to do it anymore. Here's the thing, familyness, God, family, godliness is a long game. You have to understand this. Godliness is a long game. Many of us do this with our own godliness. We get really excited. We're like, yeah, I'm going to do the Bible reading plan. I'm in it. And then two days in, we're like, this is just not what I thought it was. I just don't feel like I'm any closer to Jesus. I just don't feel like I've gotten that victory yet. And it's been two days. Three days a week. Godliness is a long game. We have to live with the end goal in mind. We have to have the willingness to take it day by day, little bit by little bit. You see, it's the small things over time. It's the little decisions of discipline, day in and day out, taking the steps when you just don't feel like it. This is true in, in your Bible reading and prayer. You gotta be able to say, okay, I'm gonna choose to wake up early this morning and I'm gonna get in God's word and I'm gonna pray for five minutes and I'm gonna be tired. I'm gonna be sleepy and I'm gonna yawn the whole way through it and I'm, I might not get that much out of it. And it might feel like, what's the point? That's great. You're training. And then what happens in a couple of weeks or in a couple of months is you daily commit to little bit by little bit getting in God's word when the devil comes and you're pulled away by lies and deceptive ideas playing to your disordered desires. The Holy Spirit, by his power and through the grace of Jesus, is gonna bring back to mind those little truths that you thought were unimportant at the time, where you thought it's just another Tuesday morning and I'm spending five minutes yawning through God's word. The Spirit of God is gonna bring those back to mind and you're gonna be able to say no to the lies of the deceiver. You're training yourself. Think about Sundays. Right, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna choose to show up and participate in Sunday worship. Right now, that means actually carving an hour out of your Sunday to go sit on the couch and engage and participate and show up. In the future, it looks like actually getting in the car, getting the kids dressed and fed and at the way to church. Showing up, and not just showing up, but participating. They might not sing the songs you want them to sing, you might feel like, I just didn't get anything out of that sermon. That must have been for somebody else. That's okay. That's great. You're training. Little bit by little bit, you're training yourself to be the kind of person who shows up. And then what happens is when the storms of life come, when you're pressed by suffering, when you're hurting, when you're in pain, when you're in despair, the Spirit of God's going to bring back to memory that song that you didn't want to sing six months ago, but now it's stuck in your head or that line of that sermon that I didn't feel like I got anything out of that, but now it's here and it's back in my mind and you're gonna be able to stand firm in the storm. You're gonna be able to worship when you don't feel like it because you've trained yourself to. I'll give you a few more group time. 
right? I'm gonna be present with my group. I'm gonna volunteer to show up. I'm gonna volunteer to pray. I'm gonna confess my sin. I'm gonna say no to other things that I'd rather do, other ways that I'd rather spend my time. I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna be consistent. Yeah, I know work was tired, tiring and draining and I'm tired, but I'm gonna still show up. That's great. But it feels repetitive. That's great. You're training. And what happens is when you give in to the lies, when you give in to temptation and everything in you wants to hide and everything in you wants to pull back from community, you're gonna know, no, I know what it's like to walk in the light. I've trained myself for these moments because I showed up when I didn't want to. I know what it's like to bring my sin before the Lord and before others when I don't want to. I know the freedom that is found there. Training little bit by little bit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve my neighbor. I'm gonna serve my coworker and my friend in need. I'm gonna give of my time, talent, and treasures to see God's kingdom advance. And right now, it just feels like sacrifice. It feels like there's a million other ways I'd rather spend my time and my money. What am I doing? Is this actually making an impact? That's great, you're training. Then when a global pandemic hits and we need each other, what feels like more than ever, you know, hey, I know what it's like to sacrifice for those in need. I know what it's like because I've trained myself to be a generous person. Slowly over time, little decision after little decision, this is what shapes you into a person who loves God and loves the things of God more and more five years from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now and 30 years from now. 40 years ago, author and pastor Eugene Peterson wrote a book about discipleship. And I love the title. He called it A Long Obedience in the Same direction. And in the book, he writes this. He says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. I think so many of us would say, yeah, I want to love Jesus in 20 years. I wanna love Jesus in the future. When I get to the end of the time God has me here on earth, I wanna love Jesus and be passionate about the things of God. The question is, are we willing to put in the work for the long haul? Are we willing to do what it takes now? Are we willing to, to put in the effort now to get us there? Or in the years and decades to come, we have a flourishing relationship with Jesus because we were willing to toil and strive and train now we were willing to sign up for the long apprenticeship in holiness. That's the third thing. Number four, godliness requires expectation. Godliness requires expectation. Verse 10, let's go back just a few verses. Verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Family, we are a people of hope and expectation. Like hope's, hope's our thing as Christians. We've said this before, hope is, our, hope is our thing. If we don't have hope, I don't know what we got, right? We, we worship a God who was dead, but didn't stay dead, defeated Satan, sin, and death, and actually got up out of the grave. Hope is our thing. As the people of God, we have hope. That's what we live with. That's what we dwell in. Paul says, we have our hope set on the living God who is our savior. We are hopeful and expectant that where we're at now is not where we will be. 
that the sin that feels pressing, pressing and crushing and enslaving won't always be so, that the idols of comfort and approval and control and power won't always have such a hold and sway on our lives, that we won't always be this way and the things won't always be like this. We're hopeful, but not in some flimsy, cross your fingers, I hope this works out and I hope it gets better kind of way. We have a deep, expectant hope. We trust the promises of God in Philippians 1.6, where it says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We're expectant that the work God starts, he also finishes. The godliness he has begun in you by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, he will bring to completion. That one day Christ will return and make all things new. And that includes us and our godliness and our holiness. That one day we will be set free from the battles and temptation and lies. It feels like we're fighting every minute of every day. That one day our practical holiness will match our positional holiness and we will experience freedom forever in the presence of our Savior. We can expect that. We don't just hope for it. We don't just cross our fingers. We can expect it, that Christ will return and he will make all things new. And that includes us and our battle and our fight for holiness. So that means we can put forth effort and toil and striving, knowing that it is God who works and wills in us. We can look for examples of godliness to emulate and follow, knowing Jesus is not just our greatest example, but also the one who came to make us godly. And we can endure knowing that it is God himself who ultimately keeps us and holds us and will bring it to completion. So family, will you choose today by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to train yourself for godliness with your hope set on Christ who has come and is coming again. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for 1 Timothy, where we get to learn about what it means to be the church, this continual push for the people of God to live lives of godliness. And I pray against any spirit of apathy, any thoughts of, eh, whatever. And I pray that you would make us passionate about our growth towards you, our growth in godliness, that we would desire that 20, 30, 40, 55, however long you give us years from now, that we would love Jesus and we would love what he calls us to love and we would be passionate about you and the things that you're passionate about. But not only would we desire that in the future, but we would actually desire that in such a way that we would strive and toil and labor and sweat for it now. We would be a church marked by a deep desire for godliness that actually affects the day in and day out of our lives, that we would sacrifice, that we would put forth effort, that we would lock arms together and walk towards Jesus together. And we love you. We need your help. We need your spirit. And we need expectation and hope that that this passage, Philippians 1, is true, that you will bring it to completion, that there will be a day where Christ will return. We won't struggle anymore. We won't fight to love the things that you call us to love anymore, but we'll see you and we'll worship you in perfect holiness forever. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.